Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. All right, so let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Um, I have been wrestling with this last little bit. We, we covered Acts chapter 11 last week. I uh, had a lot of fun with that one. Um, but let's go ahead and go into Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to go into verses 27 through 30 here in a second um, as we get ready. For those of you guys who are just now joining us, uh, we systematically go through the books of the Bible. We are in the book of Acts right now. We take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because it tells a story. And it's not a historical book necessarily where we're trying to do a history lesson, but it gives us context for the entire next few books of the Bible. The vast majority of the books of the Bible were written in the period of the book of Acts, okay? So you'll see us dive into one part of the book of Acts and then hit a timeout and maybe cover part of Romans because he wrote that during that period or or you'll see some Corinthians or Ephesians or whatever it may go through. Um, but Almost all of this was written from, the, from uh, Romans on was written during this period. Now, one thing that we have also covered is that during this period from Acts chapter 1 all the way to this moment here, we've covered over 15 years of time. People miss this, that Acts is not written in 15 days. This is not one crazy event after crazy event after crazy event. In fact, you'll see huge portions of time between each passage. And so what we're going to see here in Acts chapter uh, 11 is that there is a portion of time in between the verses, okay? And we're talking about a portion of time that can constitute a couple of years, okay? So here we are in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, um, and it says this, and in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Claudius Caesar reigned, we know this, in about AD 41, okay? So by this period of time, we know there has been a big chunk of time. Uh, he took over after his nephew, who was uh, heralded as a great emperor. And for four years, he ruled wonderfully, and then he got sick, and when he got sick, he lost his mental ability and became a tyrant to which he ends up dying for that. His uncle now, Claudius, takes over, and we know that this man stormed the beaches over in what we would call modern-day England, took over that to expand the Roman Empire, and then in about AD 44, he then experiences this great famine. This is a, a, a Roman Empire famine. This is crossing from, the, from the, the, the land of England today all the way down to Egypt, covering all the Mediterranean. There is a famine. This is a global issue. And a global famine is not fun. A global famine isn't fun because typically if my neighbor is struggling but I am successful, I can help my neighbor. But when everybody's struggling, there's no relief. There, there was no United Nations to go in and send a bunch of, of, of relief. This is an unfortunate 
situation that's taking place globally. And I love this. It says, when one of the Magabas stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, then, okay, now we pause. There's a big gap of time between that phrase, there's a period, and then there's the word then. That's a huge portion of time. Because what he didn't do is give a prophetic word, and then the next day a famine broke out. That's not how famines work. There's a period of time between God saying something is going to happen, and then said something happens. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, this is the prevailing experience that I have. God says something, I have an unction, I have a a word, I have a feeling, I have a peace, and then silence. Am I the only one who's experienced that? Let's add in a little bit more, because you ready for this? Because when he took over Claudius, there wasn't a great famine. There was great prosperity. So that just makes matters worse. Now, Agabus looks like an idiot. But Agabus said there was going to be a famine, and look at all of the wonderful things that we've had. Not for one year, not for two years, not even for three years. There's been a great expansion of the empire. We're getting new goods, Agabus. Oh, Agabus, you idiot. Maybe you missed it. I, I have felt that way. The amount of times that I have felt in my heart of hearts that God has told me something, he has proven something, there has been a peace with something, and then the exact opposite takes place. Has anybody experienced that before? And what do you do? What do you do do in between that period and the word then determines what happens for the remainder of your life? That small, one space gap on your piece of paper determined, ready for this, life or death. It's that small space. See, life is not constructed of huge events. It's built on the small space between. The space between the promise and the result The space between I have a feeling from God and it coming to pass. That space between I know there is something happening and then it happens will determine what happens next in your life. In Matthew chapter 17, there's something crazy that takes place. Jesus goes up to the, to the mountain with three disciples. At this time in his life, there are 12 disciples. So if three went up, for all my math geeks, how many would be left? She laughs. He answers. Um, nine. There are nine left. Three go up, nine stay behind. And they have this incredible experience with God. Jesus praying. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. He glows. People who have passed away in the faith, show up with him. And Peter and John are like, let's build a tabernacle right here. Jesus is like, we're not building anything stupid. 
Because at that exact same time, while Jesus was having the experience on a mountaintop, there was something taking place in the valley. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 17. It says this, And when they had come to the multitudes, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Can we add some feeling to this passage for a second? I feel like a lot of times when we go into the Bible, it's just this, and God said, and we have this very ominous and and holy, but can I tell you as a father, when I have heard the stories of the disciples healing the people, and I take my son who has been suffering with, in this case, we find out later on, it's not epilepsy, it's a demon possession. I'm not saying that everybody who deals with epilepsy is demonic. In this case, he would have seizures and he would throw himself violently into the water. That's a scary situation. I remember one time uh, my nephew uh, wandered into the pool at a young age, and my sister goes, uh, 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 and she just stared as he sinks to the bottom. So I dive in because I'm the best brother ever and save my family. Yeah, think about that at Christmas time. <laughs> wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here because your mom was no help at all. She froze. He violently throws himself in the water. He violently throws himself in the fire. Can you imagine as a parent making dinner and your kid just jumps in the fire? I've created fires. Okay, easy. Some on purpose, some by accident. I remember one time as a kid, we're going here. One time as a kid, uh, a friend of mine, Josh, and I had this... A contest who could light matches the fastest in the woods I won and we burned the woods down all of a sudden it gets out of control and I run to my father and go fun fact uh, there's a fire that's taken place to which he rushes out and it's it's grown past my ability in all of that time I never thought I'm gonna jump in but this kid would. Not because he could control what's happening, but he would throw himself in the fire. In other words, what was happening on the inside of this young boy was trying to kill him. And his dad perpetually had to watch to make sure something bad didn't happen. I feel like when he goes to his disciples and goes, I'm at my wits in. Heal this boy. It wasn't, I tried to take him to your disciples. They did not work. But if at all possible, I feel like there's a dad at his last, has a mom or a dad ever been on your last nerve? I'm 40 years old and I still get on my parents' last nerve. I, I can't imagine what took place in this man. He takes him to his disciples and there's nine of them 
and none of them can heal him. And so Jesus walks down. He's like, hey, I'm trying here, but your boys ain't good. Can you do something for my son? I love my mom and I love my dad. I love my family and I love my church. I love those prayer warriors that we have and our churchgoers here. And I love the people across the faith who constantly lift me up. But can I tell y'all something? There are some moments in my life that the only answer is gonna be when I directly connect with Jesus. Because there are moments in my life where I need somebody to hold my hand. And then there's other times where I need the impossible to be possible. And Jesus is that answer. Jesus is that answer. And his disciples, who, mind you, one of those nine was Judas, tried. And you know what's crazy is it's not because of lack of passion. They were passionate about it. Jesus, go to the mountain and pray. We got this. They laid hands on the sick. It obviously worked because more people kept coming. Because a lot of people will look at me and go, well, if you would just try harder, Pete, maybe you would get your miracle. If you had more passion, Pete, maybe you would see something. Can I tell you, in this case, it wasn't because of lack of passion. They tried. And it wasn't because they were wrong. They were doing the right things. They were doing the work of the kingdom, but it still wasn't working. And it wasn't that they said the wrong stuff because it worked on some people, but not this one. And it gets to this place where they've looked at this whole situation and go, we've said the right things, we've got the right heart, we've got the right ideas, and it still isn't working. Has that ever happened in anybody's life today? Can I tell you, maybe it's not because you're doing too much. Can I tell you, maybe it's not because you're not doing enough. Can I tell you, maybe it's not because you're not saying the right things, or maybe because you're saying the wrong things. Can I tell you, because sometimes in my life, it isn't about what I'm doing, it's about the perspective of how I'm doing it. So hear me out. Jesus looks at them and says, oh, ye of little faith, don't you know? And I love this. Jesus rebukes the devil. He rebukes the devil and it leaves. Kid's right to his, back to his right mind. Story goes on that everybody leaves. The disciples have this moment like, hey, bro, what happened? That's an important part. It's an important thing because I feel like, Bob, a lot of times when things don't go our way, we don't go to God and go, what did I do wrong? We a lot of times go, what were they doing? Okay, it's because that man is this, that woman is this. It's because she is crazy. He is, nar- he's got nar- narcolepsy, he didn't fall asleep. He's a narcissist. Maybe he's got narcolepsy when you sleep. I don't know. Maybe she'd be more exciting. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we have this idea that it's not my fault, it's their fault. Don't you remember the story? What did the father sin or was it the child who sinned? God, who did this? And it gets to this place where Jesus makes this connection. He makes this connection that he says that if you could have faith like a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. What do these two stories have to do with each other? We're going to walk through that right now. 
Last night, uh, my sister and her husband bought my, uh, Malachi McKenna and myself tickets to go to see the new Scrooge, not Scrooge, um, Christmas Carol at the ASF. Amazing, amazing performance, had a lot of fun. But you know what's crazy? In a lot of ways, in my mind, which isn't always accurate, uh, I have compared the Grinch with Scrooge in so many ways in my life. Like, it's the same story. One's just a cartoon, and one's just serious. And then last night, it hits me like a ton of bricks how opposite they are, because the Grinch hates Christmas because they rejected him because he was green and hairy. But then I noticed with Scrooge, he wasn't rejected. In fact, Scrooge did the rejecting. The crazy part is that he actually had a wife or woman that he was engaged to. But he was so in love with his own money and his own success and his own wealth that he actually pushes everybody away because he has made something special here. So when we go back to the book of Acts, we see that there's that space between the period and then. Because the Bible says, and then they sent gifts food, resources to those in need. And that's funny to me because when I look at that story, I feel like there was a lot of people in, the, in between who began to store up, who began to save, who began to prepare for the famine, and it becomes this uh, uh, an, um, uh, uh, a gathering of resources, and then they have the opportunity to go, I like what I've gathered more than helping them in need. They became the Scrooge of the story, where they would look and go, yeah, well, maybe you should have gathered. Well, if you would have listened to Agabus like I did, you would be in a different situation. See, it's easy that when we're all in the same spot to help each other out a little bit, but then all of a sudden when there becomes a gap between my resources and your resources, then it becomes this moment. Because even Scrooge looks at them and says, oh, there's those in need? Well, I wish they would hurry up and just die already. So there's space for the rest of us. And I've noticed this in the world that we live in is there becomes this gap of modern day Scrooge where we look and go, well, if you would just do what I did, you would have had it, but you didn't, so you should forever be punished. Don't you know we live in a place where you can just get a job whenever you want to? Don't you know we live in a world where, in an America where you can just pull yourself up by your bootstrap account? Not everybody can. Or how about this? Maybe they could, but they didn't, and they made a horrible choice. I don't know about you, but I haven't lived a perfect life, and I feel like at one time in my life, I needed somebody to help me in a situation that I couldn't help myself out, and I fell to my knees, and I repented of my sin, but it still didn't change my issues, but there was a man named Jesus who came and he died for me. He didn't stand there and look at me and go, well, if you'd have done what I told you to do, dummy, you'd have been in a different situation. No, he looks at me in my shame and in my guilt and in my lowest moment and says, I'll die for that one. And in today's world, we've got to realize that in our churches, there's, there's a Scrooge mentality with some of us where we go, oh, well, y'all should just stay over there. Those sinners, those who are away from, they know where I'm at. 
If they would just get saved and do what I've done for the past 30 years, then they could have what I've got. But until they do, I want nothing to, I wish they would hurry up and just go to hell already so there's more space for the rest of us. When we are excited about the judgment of God on the nations, we've got a problem. Come on, somebody. See, in our world, we, so I'm a Bible nerd. It is what it is. Just, I just wrote a paper, yes, Sunday, Saturday, Friday, on the dispensationalist versus the covenant mindset of how it affects eschatology and the four views that it affects. I know. Beautiful, right? Beautiful. I know you're like, God, I want to read that. You don't. But let me break it down into a 30-second clip. You've got two main views, which is the dispensational view and the covenantal view of the eschatological viewpoint, which means the study of the last times. And those who follow the dispensational view have this idea that there is a testing and approving of humanity, and then man fails, and then God does something, typically a judgment. And then man repents because he suffers, and then he gets tested again, and then he fails, and then God judges over and over and over again. And we have this idea that the world is going to hell and man is being tested and because you guys stink the end times are coming rapidly and God's going to burn this baby down because he's over with it. The opposite view is what we call a covenantal view where man makes a mistake and man fails but because of God's covenant that he continues to be faithful. And on this camp over here we get this idea is it doesn't matter what you're going to do because God's going to figure you out anyways. Can I tell you it's yes. There is an actual judgment that is coming. But if I am sitting there with popcorn in hand, excited to watch the world burn, I'm on the wrong side of history. Every second of my life, I should be praying for the repentance of the nations and the evil that it is instead of excited that God's going to burn that area of the world to the ground. Because when we're reading about the end times and we're seeing what's happening in Israel, we see what's happening with Hamas, Hezbollah, with Iran, with Iraq, and all the nations over there, and we go, man, God's going to wipe them out. And we're excited. We've got problems. Because the amount of people that are going to die and not experience the salvation of Jesus is millions upon millions upon millions. And if heaven would rejoice with one person get saved, how many times will heaven's heart be broken over the millions that will never hear the gospel? Because we go, <laughs> you should have been born on our side of the world. That's a Scrooge mentality. Because at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus and the gift that he is, yet we want to hoard him unto ourselves and not hand him out to the world. But then there's another side. The other side is that Jesus tells us this, is that if you would have faith like a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to be moved. But there's the opposite view of this whole story here, and that's the space between the period and the then. And that space is, what will my little bit do? I don't got much. I mean, I just got a little bit here and a little bit there. I mean, I'm barely getting by. And for years, they had to have this mindset of my little bit set aside 
could create a big thing. And so what happened in this time frame when it comes to the famine that would take place is there wasn't like there was a lack of any kind of resources and people were starving to death necessarily. But what would happen was is that the cost now of the goods would be so high you had to have wealth to be able to provide for your family. You know, when a gallon of milk is $8 kind of stuff. Not like that's happening now. When the dollar menu has inflation, we've got problems. <clears throat> and so we have this idea now that with Scrooge says, y'all should have, but little bit says, what's it going to do anyways? Then we live this life where we don't want to help or be a part because I can't do much anyway, so what's the point? I might as well just consume my little bit and just die. But I love this because there's not a proportionate response. There is a mountain in front. And Jesus says, if you would have this, you could overthrow that. It's the idea here, Thomas, where just a couple of smooth stones can take down a 10-foot man. The proportions don't make sense. It's this whole idea that if I follow the words of God and I speak the words of God, that the mountains will move. That doesn't make sense. But let me help you out in 2023. It's this idea that this little thing right here can drop a giant. This is just a 9-millimeter shell. And for those of you who don't know, this whole section here is full of gunpowder. This little brass part is what flies off into somebody. And what's crazy is the idea that my size could be crumpled to my ground with just this little bit. But that's what happens in our world. This is how God has created the world, is that the idea that my little bit here will create a problem for something bigger. And this is the problem that we're running into, is that if somebody was to come into our facility today and have a problem, that we would have an issue. But what happens is that as our little bits begin to expand over and over and over again, now it's not just one person or two people or three people. There becomes this big, huge movement where people's little bits here begin to add up really quickly. And what we're seeing in the story here is that they lived in a part of the world that was impoverished, but they began to gather their little bits to attack a big giant called famine that is globally. And what happens in our world today is that we have this idea where either they can either A, go to hell, or we can B, go, I'm not going to do it anyways because what's my little bit going to help? And I can tell you this, a little bit can take down a big thing. And Jesus says that if we would just do our little bits on the in-between, you would see a great change in the world. In a couple of minutes, Pastor Allen's going to talk about the little bits that this church has done. The $50 here, the, the $20 there, the $5 here, and how it has added up to helping people's lives be changed. Can I tell you before he comes up, there is no offering. I'm not going to do a pledge. There's not this QR code to give now. Because one thing I want to do right now, after talking to Pastor Allen, is this, is explain what has happened and how we have helped the world. I'm not going to, y'all have been helping out with the angel tree. You've been providing Christmas presents and providing food for those in need, and it's beautiful. 
And we have to maintain this idea that there is going to be a great famine in our world again. Whether that means a global food pandemic, whether that means a financial shutdown again, I'm not going into any of those theories right now. But can I tell you, there is a great spiritual famine that has taken place over our world. There's a great spiritual famine that's happening here in Alabama. The idea is coming in that what is it going to matter anyways if I talk to my neighbor? What will it matter if I begin to talk to my friends about Jesus? What will it matter if I just bring one person to church and they get connected? You know what? Number one, it matters to the one. Number two, as you begin to bring your little bit, and then Thomas connects with somebody, and Nathan connects with somebody, and Ira connects with somebody, all of a sudden our little one moments become a movement that begins to change an entire area. It's called momentum. Your little bits can create momentum that helps other people that were unintended jump in the bandwagon. And this is what we need in our world today, is that we need to have people to break off the idea that who cares about them, they should have done it anyways, and break off the idea that, oh, I'm just little old me. It's not going to make a difference and understand that both sides are wrong. You are in a position right now for a great harvest, a harvest of souls, a harvest of life change. But you have a choice. You all have a choice. Every single day you have a choice. Do I look at somebody and shun them because I don't like them? Do I look at somebody and go, they're going to reject me anyways, what's the point? Or do I look and go, with my little bit of faith that God can plant a seed, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to show love to people who are unlovable. I'm going to show grace to those who deserve judgment. And I'm going to show honor to those who don't even need honor, who don't have any honor. Can I tell you why? You show honor because you are honorable. You show respect because you are respectful. And you show love because God is love and he is inside. We must love our neighbors so much so that is greater than our little bit of fear, our little bit of concern, our little bit of, I'm concerned I'm going to get rejected, and love them into the kingdom of God. Amen? Pastor Allen's going to come up, and he's going to share for a little bit, and then we're going to let you guys go. That's a good word, Pete. Amen. You know, the other day when we were, he was ministering, and I saw that, and I thought, here's Agabus, and he's prophesying the word of the Lord. Not an idea, not a hunch, or anything like that. Matter of fact, Peter just explained, things were good. And here he is, and he says, this is the word of the Lord. And it was the opposite of what they were experiencing. Isn't that right? And just as he said, we, we, we look at this, and we would have a tendency to say, well, I believe what the word of the prophet is, and things are going good, so here's... Here's something here. We're, we're going to start saving up so that we can hoard up for ourselves in that bad time, right? And that's a tendency to do, but I saw something there. I said, and they gave. What is it that they knew that the world today doesn't understand? 
We see in the scriptures where it says to give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together. The promises of God, his word saying those that give, you know, and here it is, they've got a word that's coming that there's going to be a famine, yet instead of hoarding up, they gave. In this church, in 2001, uh, there was a lot of lack in, in about every area. And the Lord said to me, says, start this, do take care, give into benevolence. And so we started doing Wednesday night services and said, we're not going to do Wednesday night services for money, but we are going to take up an offering. But it's all going to go towards the poor. We're going to give to the poor. Everything comes in. And in three years, the, the loans were paid off. The church was remodeled. Things were all taken care of off of that sowing of seed to the poor. I believe had everything to do with it. And one thing I did <clears throat> was I made a commitment, Marcia and I, this is what we're going to do. And we've been doing it now every week since 2001. We've never stopped and we've never missed it. It's that little bit that we add to our tithes and offerings. We just write on there, benevolence. Benevolence. Because see, the Lord said this, I remember it well, how hard it was for Marsha and I. And I used to just like, God, isn't there anybody that could help us? Because we didn't even have food. And nobody was around. Nobody, there was nothing. And the Lord said to me as I was pulling out one day, back in 2001, he says, he said, Alan, he said, there's more Allens and Marshes out there that need help. You'll find a lot of people are takers. He said, but you know what? There's some Allens and Marshes. Keep giving. Do this. And it's tremendous blessing on our life because of it. So we had Wednesday night and we gave all the monies that came in on offerings to the poor. Go figure. Yet we prospered in doing so as a church. You know, one thing that we teach in this church is the tithe belongs to the Lord. We, we, we sow seed, we give, and so forth. Do you realize that the church's perspective of this is, well, that's good for the people, but it's also good for the church. The church tithes what comes in off the tithes. So we take 10% and give that to missions and, and so forth. There's a principle there. There's others that need it. Out of this church, and, and I don't take it as a small thing. It's, it's a big thing. Do you, do you realize, and, and I haven't stayed, stood up here before and told you some of these things, but there's been churches that's had air conditioners that had just gone out. They have no money to get, a, get it fixed or if it's beyond repair, and they have no air conditioning. How many of you would like to go sit in that church in the middle of the summer? Exactly. What are they going to do? They don't even have the money to do that. Now they can't even have church. You know how many different churches that this church has been able to buy air conditioners for and get, get them repaired? Several. Well, let's see, one in Mobile, one in Jasper, one in Georgiana. Uh, 
one in Columbiana. I mean, there's been several churches that they didn't have money to even buy, to get their fixed, they, they can't have church. How many septic tanks? You would never think about that. Up, oh, septic tank stopped up. The grinders messed up on it. You know, we, you, we don't have any way for people to flush a toilet. You know, we can't have church. Pastors crying and said, Pastor Allen, I, I, what do I do? Even if they could go to the bank and get a loan, they're not going to be able to get the money and get it all processed by church service. You know, we've taken care of that and helped several churches, one in Mobile, one in, in another city as well, with, with that type of problem. We've, we've purchased and, and helped people when they were doing, um, and this, these are churches that have need. When you say, well, that was the church, well, I'm talking about there's a lot of people in that church or a group of people in that church. They, that's who we gave to. Amen? And then there's food uh, to churches. And one thing that we do as a church is I take the benevolence money at the end of the year after we have taken care of the needs in the, of the house. People here, I mean, if they had come across a rough time, a car messed up, they got to have the car to get to work. They don't have any money. Or utility bills or something is broke down and they're doing the best they can. And we help them. And that, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Well, it's kind of hard to call up everybody on a Tuesday and say, listen, I just found out we got a need. Can you, can you come by and drop some money off? No. We do this continually. We give that little bit. Marsha and I, every single week. There's others in here that do it as well. And I know that I know that I know that if we'll do that, God will bless us and take care of you can hoard that little bit up if you want but it's that given that little bit that makes the difference in this house here you know the angel tree stuff but there's been other things you know helping churches and helping individuals with with food and with medical things and all kind of stuff over the years and we still do it and at the end of the year i go back through it and i look and i say okay here's what it is and i take that figure what it is, and we write a check and give it to one of these organizations giving out food. Whether it's the Elmore County or whether it's the Montgomery Food Bank or one of these places, we give that money to them so they can continue to help meet people's needs. We don't have to wait till there's a big thing to start doing something. We do it every day. It becomes a lifestyle. Amen? And that's what... That's what these guys were doing when things were tough. I mean, it was still good. They were giving then, preparing. And if you read on through Acts, you'll see where Paul, when he was going to churches, he was collecting these funds to take and send, not to himself, not to finance his ministry, but to what? To take back to Jerusalem to help the church there that was in persecution. I just want to encourage you that you we hear all the time, you know, the economy's messing up, this is taking place, there's going to be a recession, there's going to be a depression, the dollar's going down, this is happening, that's happening, and there can be a tendency to want to take your little bit and hold it back, right? I just want to encourage you, no, no, take your faith and with that little bit and say, no, I'm sowing seed, I'm going to give, maybe I can't give 
$5,000, you know, this year towards something like that, what, what can you do? What can you do? You know, when I was at Canaan Land, we had it broken down. And at that particular time, we know that a Happy Meal costs more money now than it used to uh, 25 years ago. But back then, a Happy Meal a week would have fed a person, housed a person, took care of them, paid utility bills, and helped have Canaan Land. A Happy Meal once a week. How many of you could give up a, a Happy Meal once a week just for somebody's life, for somebody who's fighting for their life? That's what I'm talking about. You go get a quarter pounder with cheese, what is that? Uh, well, those combos is about nine bucks, $10. You know, that's what it costs now. Could we give $10? Can I do something that will bring, give life to somebody? And that's, it's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. That's what we're talking about, it's a heart issue. And, and, and I just wanna encourage you to, to understand that what, when, if you do something like that, if you write down and say, well, I'm going to start adding a little something into benevolence, all of that money goes to benevolence. It doesn't go to the operations of, the, of this house. It goes, whether it's being given to people here to help or goes to another church or goes to the food bank that's going to help people that don't even know Jesus. It goes to all of it. God calls that money holy because it was given to him. And believe me, we treat it as it's holy because it is. So I just want to encourage you as, through this Christmas season, thinking about all that God's done for you and, 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 and how he's blessed you, just, just make that little step of, you know, I could do a happy meal. I could do whatever. Say, so, well, that's not much. It adds up. It does add up. How are you going to close it? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done in our life, all that you're doing in our life, and all that you're going to continue to do in our life. Lord, let us have a, an understanding. Let us begin to see beyond ourselves and beyond our needs to those that are out there that, that are hurting and need help. And Lord, I thank you that you've chosen us to be able to distribute and to give to those that have needs. And Lord, I thank you as we do so. Your promises keep coming back to us for being obedient and taking care of these needs. Because, Lord, you said he that's been faithful with little, you'll give much because he'll be faithful with the much as well. And, Lord, I thank you that this house is a good house, good people, <clears throat> taking care of angel trees and <clears throat> people's needs of their cars and, and their personal needs and medical things. These are good people, Lord, and I thank you that your blessings upon them. Lord, thank you for this season, this season of giving, that we can understand every single day all that you've given to us and so we can give that right back out to those that we come in contact with. Lord, I thank you for them today as they leave and they're dismissed. Lord, I thank you they're blessed coming in and they're blessed going out. Bless them, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.